Well, good morning and welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. I want to read a passage to you out of the book of Isaiah. It's probably a chapter you're all familiar with, Isaiah chapter 40. But I just want to read verse 31 before we start to worship today. It says, Those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not be weary. So this morning, we have the opportunity to wait on the Lord. What an amazing opportunity. So let's do that this morning. As we worship Him, as we call on His name, this is where we renew our strength. So Father God, this morning, as we come into Your presence, God, we say You are worthy of Your worship. And Father, we're excited to be here. And we want to give You all praise that is due to Your name. In Jesus' name, let's worship Him this morning. You know, the Bible says that God is looking for those who will worship Him. And uh, there's a particular criteria that He's looking for in that worship. But uh, He's looking for people that seek Him, that seek Him. I mean, the Bible says that God can open His hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. Now, if God can satisfy the need of every living thing by just opening His hand... What could he do for your life? What could he do for the things that ail you right today? And this is what he's saying. Listen, if you believe, if you believe and you seek me enough for my, my touch and my hand and my love, I can deal with everything that's wrong in your life, every struggle you have. But do you want to seek me for that? Do you believe that I can do that? It says Abraham sought God and Abraham sought God to the point where uh, he demonstrated God's righteousness. And the Bible says that, that those that really believe that God is will seek him. And if you lost your keys, but you know you had them in the car, you're gonna, and you're sure they're in the car, you're going to keep looking in that car until you find them because you know they're there. So there is a confidence that faith gives you to seek until you find and so God is looking for a people who seek him. He says, listen, I can be found, but will you seek me? Do you believe enough to believe that I'm there? And will you find me? So, Lord, we want to seek you today. As we're worshiping, it was, we're extolling the things we believe to be true. We're saying, God, we want to find another layer of you. Even if we've found something of who you are, Lord, we want to say today that we want to find more of you. You are a great God. Lord, lead us today as we seek you, as we seek your face. Let's worship him. You know, if you're familiar with a liturgical church that's based on ceremony, what happens is throughout the service at different times, they have scheduled people to read scripture or to say certain sort of historical prayers uh, we do that, but more spontaneously. So I'm just going to ask a couple of guys to come up and pray. Father, we bless you. We say that you are the Almighty One who is imminently close, near at hand. Your kingdom inside us, God, and we're welcoming you. We're acknowledging your presence in our midst, God. We're acknowledging that we are the temple and that there is a God in the temple. God, we're acknowledging your might and your majesty and your power. We're acknowledging your glory. We're saying we know you're here. We know you're real. We know you love us. We know that you're about your work, God. And so we're saying, God, let the veils be removed. Let the chains be broken. Let shadows flee. In Jesus' name, we're saying let light rise. Let the glory of God be revealed. Release revelation, God, so that we can see you and we can respond to you as you are, God. We're saying we want to know you even more. God, we trust that you're at it. You're at it, God. You're at it. You're at it. You're at it. God, in Jesus' name, we're giving ourselves over to you. We're saying spring up from inside. Oh, well, respond to the Lord. Spring up inside of me. Oh, well of God, respond to the Lord. We worship you this morning, Lord. Here in this place, we worship you this morning. We energize our lives to praise you and to honor you and to lift you up. We say here there is no one else like our God. We say there is no strength like God's strength. We say there is no life like God's life. 
We say there are no cures like God's cures. We say there are no wisdoms like God's wisdoms. We say there are no answers like God's answers. We say you are our all in all, God. We totally move ourselves and stir ourselves to come before you this morning, to lift ourselves up before you and say, here we are, God. We are yours this morning. Here we are, God. We are yours this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, we release everything that is inside of us this morning, God. Everything that is inside of us, God. We release it this morning, God. We lay it all on the line, God. Like this is the last service I will ever attend, God. I lay everything on the line, God. I lay everything on the line, God, to call you beautiful and to call you holy and to declare your worth over the nations, God. I love you this morning, God, and I come and I leave it all at the altar today. I leave it all at the altar. I will leave nothing back. I will hold nothing back this morning. I will give you everything, God. I will give everything this morning, God. Everything I have, Jesus, for the glory of your name, God. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Father, we bless you. As we worship you this morning, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you manifest yourself in the midst of a people that worship you. So, Lord, come and show yourself. Great are you, Lord. Father, we want to declare today unashamedly that we believe that you are great and greatly to be praised. And, Lord, your promise says that Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And so, Lord, we prophesy to our nation. We say, Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. So, Canada, worship the Lord your God. Lord, let a sound go out across this nation that calls this nation to bow its knee to you. To say there is none like you in all the earth. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, Derek and I went on an excursion this week, and um, he happened to be reading one of my favorite books, by Rick Joyner, which if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's called The Final Quest. If you want to see a template of the, uh, an ultimate sort of template of the, the fight between good and evil and light and darkness and how that's being played out over, over history and uh, in, in, in our day, of course, and before the end of time, there's a template there like none I've ever seen. But he read to me this one portion that he was reading, and I thought it was just fantastic. It was awe-inspiring. So I wanted him to share that with you. So come and read that, and you know, if there's something in your heart to pray about that, uh, please do. The final quest is an allegory. It was given in dreams to Rick Joyner. And so we're just going to pick it up where he had come across an old eagle. And he had met this old eagle several times, but he suddenly noticed that this old eagle, for the first time he noticed scars and broken feathers on the eagle. And he asked him about this, and he said, These are the medals of honor in heaven. All who carry them love God and his truth more than their own lives. Then he says a few more things. And then I want to pick it up here. I looked at the leader of the company of angels that followed me. I had never witnessed deep emotion in an angel before, but these words were unquestionably moving him greatly, as well as the rest of the angels. I really thought they were about to cry. Then the leader spoke, We have witnessed many wonders since the creation, but the voluntary suffering of men for the Lord and for their fellow men is the greatest wonder of all. We too must fight and even suffer at times, but we dwell where there is such light and glory that it is very easy to do this. When we see men and women choose to suffer for a hope that they can see only dimly in their hearts, It causes even the greatest angel to bow their knee and gladly serve these heirs of salvation. We marvel at the dedication of you who dwell with so little encouragement in a place of such darkness and evil. At first we did not understand why the Father decreed that men would have to walk by faith, suffering great opposition while not having the benefit of beholding the reality and the glories of the heavenly realm. But now we understand that through these sufferings, 
He proves their worthiness to receive the great authority that they will be given as members of his own household. This walk of faith is now the greatest wonder in heaven. Those who pass this test are worthy to sit at the, with the Lamb on his throne. For he has made them worthy, and they have proved their love. As I was thinking, about, as I reread this this morning here, I remembered, uh, I, it just my mind went to Reinhold Messner. He's a famous mountaineer. And he's famous because he does what no one else can do. For example, he climbed Mount Everest with no oxygen. And uh, you can't do that. Like if you would tell Sir Edmund Hillary that, you know, in the future someone is going to climb Mount Everest without oxygen, he would have said impossible. Absolutely impossible. But Reinhold Mester is one of these men who's distinguished himself in an oxygenless atmosphere. Where, where most people can't survive, but he's distinguished himself like that. And it's clear that the Lord is doing the same thing with us. He's calling us to distinguish ourselves in an atmosphere where there's so little faith, so little encouragement, so little glory. Like, we, no doubt, we all are sure that there's a place where the glory of God mm, energizes everything. But we're not in that place. Here we are stuck in this building this morning. But we distinguish ourselves in this dull atmosphere. We, we press in. Reinhold Mester is one among 10,000 that is able to do that. That's why he's, you know, in another category. The Lord is training us to be in another category. He's training me so that in heaven I will be distinguished as one who pressed in and purposed to go forward in this dull atmosphere. I'm going to pray. Lord, we agree together that we will continue to press on in our present situation with the small amount of revelation we have, with the small amount of glory that we experience, with that little bit of anointing that we know, with that, that faith that's just barely enough to continue. We say, we purpose this morning in this church that we will distinguish ourselves by being those who press forward, those who stay the course, those who are steadfast, those who are for lack of a better word, hardcore, in this atmosphere. We, we encourage ourselves this morning. We strengthen ourselves this morning and, and say that we want to press forward in this. Amen. Amen. This truth, I thought it was so stunning, and it illustrates something of the quest that we have for truth. You know, there's a, the words that we use for truth and uh, lies, of course, is, is the issues of, you know, light and darkness. And so it says God that dwells in unapproachable light, you know, he's called us to seek him, but he dwells in unapproachable light. But so there's this pilgrimage that we have where we're going from darkness to light. In the proverb, it says this, I love this proverb, it says that the path of the righteous, so the path of your life it's like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter till the full day. And so following that pattern, that uh, template, we are born into darkness. And when we get born again, we see our first dawn. We see, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty of color. And, you know, when the, when the rays of the sun cross that first threshold... That's the beginning of vision. That's the beginning of light. That's the beginning of using actual, real spiritual color. And and uh, but it gets brighter and brighter and brighter till the full day. That's that's the promise we have, and that's the pattern we have. So what that means is your spiritual life. If you're if you're not a Christian, is to come into light, and if you are a Christian, is to come into more light. So when does that end? the full day, when you come to the full day. Well, what is the full day? Not yet, right? It, the full day is the full manifestation of who God is. Now, the fact is, you know, the Scripture says you can't see the full manifestation of God. You would die. That the nature of who God is is such that He can't show you who He is because the essence of what you are made of can't handle it. And so even if we see the maximum revelation you could get of God would be through a, uh, a series of filters 
that would, uh, you know, diminish him so, so much, you know, wouldn't even hardly be compared to the actual substance of who he is. So how great is he? You know, I think we're going to find, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was cutting the lawn, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, about how great God is as opposed to how great I think he is. And the disparity between those things calls to me and speaks to me all the time. And, and I felt the Lord saying to me that a part of the reward system that he's giving us as, as people is in how much we were able to make his greatness known. Well, that's predicated, of course, on how, much, how great you think he is, right? You know, uh, and so I, I actually have two messages this morning. I'm not sure I'll get to the second one, which before, I, before we came into worship was the first one. You know, I, I, I think I, I know where God's taken us, and then all of a sudden just something some becomes so glaringly clear. Well, I, I can't do this other thing. It's not as clear as this one. So if you're wondering how I do this, this is what I do. So I want to read a couple of passages, and we'll see if we can get to message number two. Okay, John eight thirty two. You know it very well. It says this. And Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. I'll probably say a lot about that. What does it mean to abide in his word? But this is what it says. It's certainly, certainly one of the implications of that. It says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The other scripture I want to read is, is 1 Timothy 6, verse 13 to 16. And uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, as you know. He says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Jesus Christ, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this command without spot, blameless until the, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will manifest in his own time. Come on. Which he will manifest in his own I didn't realize that was in there. When's God coming? When is he coming back? In his own time. I love that. He was blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Wow, that's a pretty awesome description of how great God is. I want to talk about uh, the potential layers, because here's, here's the thing. When you're coming into light, to a light you've never seen before, it's something you've never seen before. And the Bible says in Ephesians, it says you can't even imagine. So imagine as much as you can imagine, right, of how great God is, how big He is, how powerful He is. I mean, let your mind go, you know, create the most crazy dimensions of greatness, and he's greater. That's pretty huge, right? Well, we get a little picture of that when you look at the universe. And uh, every once in a while, I run across one of these little pictorial things, and I want you to throw this one up. And this one here is kind of a stunning example. Now, you, see our, you can't see our sun. Our sun is the smallest little dot there next to the word sun. Okay. Now, as you know, the sun is significantly bigger than the earth, right? I, I think it's, the earth can fit into the sun 1.3 million times, right? That's, that's the sun. And then, and then you, you can see I mean, the next Sirius is the next, uh, okay, the next one, Pollux, Arcturus. How do you spell that next one? Regal? Rigel. Betel, Betelgeuse. Antares is a big, pretty big one, right? That's just pretty big. Those are amazing, right? I mean, it's almost, it almost defies the imagination, like just how, how big, how substantive that is. And I don't even know if that's the biggest star that's out there. But then you look at constellations and, you know, and, and those things that are made up of billions of these. Okay. And God spoke these things into being. He said, let there be, and Boom. You know, I, I did a little uh, one-minute watchman on that here recently because I was marveling about how great God is, and I and I I was thinking of, you know, he is he is so amazing that just a flash of the release of a portion of who he is created the universe. I mean, think about this: God is power under restraint. 
You know that X-Men guy who had the, the goggles on it? What was his name? Cyclops, yeah. Cyclops. He's called Cyclops because though he had two eyes, his, his, his glasses were one eye. And anyway, he had to do that because if he took it off, these beams of power, you know, so he was, he was his eyes were power under restraint. And even when he wanted to burn something up, he'd just go, you know, give a little gaze and psh, right? That's how God created the world. Like he's, he just let there be and he just, just opened up that, a little crack, a little fissure in that thing that restrains the abundance of his power and boom, the universe that's why they call it the Big Bang Theory, because it was a Big Bang, you know, boom. And out of that, the universe is still expanding because of the creative, immense power of God. So this is the God we're dealing with. So how many of you think there might be more things to discover? Well, our faith is constructed such that God has invited us to discover who He is, to pursue Him, to seek Him. And the problem is we get laid up and we get halted by a sense of completion or a sense of, you know, we, we, we achieve some level of, you know, appropriate knowledge or experience or some freedom. It's like you get saved and all of a sudden, you know, you're a mess, right? You first become a Christian, you got all this resentment and all these vices and all these problems and all this, you know, corrupt thinking and all the, you know, so you know you have, you have something you know, to gain. And so you start coming to church, hanging around with people that you see are, you know, beyond you. But, you know, once you start to get to the place where you feel like you're fitting in, it's like, yeah, we're doing good here. We're fitting in. I don't want to fit in. I want, I want more. How much more is possible? There's a, a series of layers that, of revelation about God that are coming into our lives. And I just want to reference this, and then I'll go on to my second message. <laughs> I remember years ago, now this is a natural phenomena, but I remember years ago, I was in grade 8. Remember when you were in grade 8, when you first went to junior high school? Like, that was a grade 6, and then I was going to junior I get a locker. I mean, it was like this zone of my, my parents don't even go into my locker. Like, I have this freedom. There's this, it was a sense of coming into something, you know, my own life. I have a space all to myself, except for the guy I had to share it with. <laughs> but, you know, it was a sense of empowerment. It was this plateau. It was a sense of significance. And we're always trying to, as fallen, be insecure beings, to establish some footprint in the earth that is ours, that we can, you know, protect and own and gives us a sense of self, right? So, so of course, we find different ways to do that. And for me, uh, at that time, remember, we had uh, four or five of us that hung out, and we thought, you know, we're, we're going to be a gang. We're the, you know, so we started talking about this gang, and we thought about, you know, buying matching corduroy jackets, wouldn't that be amazing? We'd be like our, our own little army, all, you know, four of us. And, you know, we're, you know, I started to have a couple of fights, you know, and I was feeling really tough. And so we used to, you know, talk about this, of course, not around anybody else, but we just amongst ourselves because, you know, we didn't want anybody else to, you know, be intimidated by us. But we were the toughest gang in McKenzie. Now, McKenzie was one of four quadrants of uh, private married quarters on the military base in Cold Lake. So there was about maybe, I don't know, 1,000 people that lived in that area. We were the toughest gang in McKenzie, we thought. Of course, we were the only gang. And we weren't even really a gang. But, you know, you create this world of, of you know, that cr gives you a sense of status, stature, or importance. And we pick and choose the values that are the most important in order to increase our value, okay? In my world, those are the ones I was pulling on. I don't know what you pulled on in your world. We do that as Christians. We do that as non-Christians on certain levels. But that's what we do. That's how we develop self-esteem in a natural way. And that when you are without God in the world, without the love of God to give you worth, you have to create worth by yourself. And that was one of the ways that I created worth, but every once in a while, God creates this moment where a, a bigger system sort of exposes your tiny little world. And it sort of 
you know, it's embarrassing. But anyway, I was at the hockey rink because that's where we used to go when we were cool and didn't have cars. Didn't have a license either. And we could go there, hang out, and watch hockey games. And, you know, we had this separate world. We're not, you know, parents aren't here telling us what to do. And we're just, we're running the rink. Anyway, so I happened to be in the bathroom. And uh, me and my friend were at the urinals. And we're talking about this guy who thinks he can take me, you know. So, yeah, we're just back and forth. We're in grade eight, right? You know, this is our own WWF or UFC or whatever. And anyway, I'm sitting there, yeah, all talking, the typical talk. We don't realize there are other people coming in. Anyway, in the other urinal, I look over, and there's this guy. He's like in grade 10, which is like, you know, worlds, worlds above us, right? And I'm sitting there, and he's looking over us, and he's got this amused smirk on his face. And I look over, and suddenly the reality of our conversation hits me in the light of this guy's presence who, who would, you know, shake me like a rag doll. You know, here we are talking about how tough we are, which is fine when you're doing it in that, you know, echo chamber of, you know, other junior hires or elementary kids. Well, you know, we could be amazingly impressive, but suddenly worlds are colliding as this guy, just with a look and a smirk, he's like shattered. You know, it's like, and I suddenly I felt embarrassed of all these comparisons. And, you know, it was like this intrusion of one system upon my tiny little solar system. And it was like, and I, I felt so small and stupid and embarrassed. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm... To this day, I'm think, I, it was one of those shocking, awakening moments where I, all of a sudden, you know, there are, there are bigger things. So it was an awakening. It was, it was an embarrassing awakening. And it sort of, but it tempered, you know, that run amuck sense of self that we were indulging at the time. I don't know if my friends got it, but I got it. It didn't help me entirely, but, you know, it resisted that, you know, sense of, uh, you know, false worlds I was creating to at least some degree. Now, why do, why do you say that? Because it's a picture of the kind of epiphanies that could come to shatter the world you're creating in order to give you a greater world. And the nature of Christianity at its root is God is saying, I have a reality defined by myself, by how great I am, by who I am. And that reality is beyond your imagination. I mean, it is so massive, so extensive, you can't even imagine how great it is. And yet I have invited you into this thing. But the cost is, whatever it is you're nurturing in the moment will, you know, effectively collapse. Like, and if you have, particularly if you have some sense of value or esteem, if your self-worth is based on that, then when that system goes, all that stuff goes. And this is why, this is why when Jesus came to the earth, men resisted him. Now, what was interesting is the men that resisted him were not the bad men, it was the good men. I mean, there were worthless men that the good men hired to, to kill him and all that, and persecute the believers, but, but it was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What, they were the ones that resisted because they had the most to lose in terms of in that civilization, they were at the top of the pecking order. They were the most intelligent. They were the most powerful. They, they were righteousness incorporated. You know, they were running that, that corporation, that world. They, they were the masters of that world. And, and so there was nobody who could come in and say those things or give them that, that smiling smirk to explode their world. Nobody could do that until Jesus. And when Jesus came along, though he was giving life, though he promised more life, though he had this freedom, they were more invested in this world that they had created they weren't willing to give it up. Because why? Because it t- you have to believe that when this is gone, there's something more. Otherwise, you're going to hold on to this like crazy. No matter how small that world is, if it's the only world you've got, something inside of you holds on to it. 
even if it's a bad world, because it's all you have. And so when Jesus came, his words did what that guy did to me at the urinal. His words, you know, they would, they would confront him. They would, he would do all, all these miracles and signs and wonders. And, and you know, they, were, they would meet together and say, What's, what are we doing? We're the, we're the toughest gang in McKenzie. And this Jesus guy's coming around. He's, yeah, who does he think he is? Like, get in line, you know. We got a nice system here. If you really, you know, you should honor this system. And he said, no. No, because I, I am coming from a father, the father. And you're supposed to be representing his system, but you've created something else entirely. And I'm coming to say, this is not what I wanted. And the only thing keeping you from receiving that is your investment in that current system right now. And that's the same, maybe not to the same degree of light, but that's the same phenomena that takes place in every political circle. Whether it be a religious political circle or financial power circle or a global political circle that actually deals with politics and government. It is worlds, worlds that are being created by the ambitions of men. And, and a part of the promise that we have is God is saying, listen, I am coming. And all of these worlds that are being created, I am going to abolish them all. I am going to come and I'm going to unite every man, woman, and child, every system under one system. And that system is dictated by who I am. And so this is the promise. This is the promise of Jesus' return. This is the promise of a kingdom. But what he's saying is, listen, at the same time I'm recruiting people because when I'm incorporating my kingdom, I want people to run it. And so I'm inviting you to be joint heirs with me. I'm inviting you to be involved in this. And so when I became a Christian, like, oh, Jesus, you know, wow, I want to, this is great, you know. My world, you exploded my world, and I, I, I want your world. What's it going to take? And that's the journey that we're on. But the rub is, you don't know what the next epiphany is. You can't even imagine what it is. And so Paul likens the journey to groping in the dark. And that is actually how God has dealt with the nation. He said, he said that they might grope in the, in the dark and in the hopes of finding him. So when we're here and we talk about these things, we don't talk about them as though we are in the final phase or have this complete vision or see it all. But we are, that's why we talk about, in the language we do, about seeking God. Because if he is, if, if that is any reflection of the greatness if you, if you are amazing in your understanding of God's righteousness, you might have something the size of the sun. And God is saying, yeah, that doesn't even hold a candle to actually what I am. How do we communicate that expanse and supremacy of a God whom we can't see? And that's why that, that, that passage in that book that Derek read is so is amazing to me because the angels of heaven are watching men and women of faith who are dying for something that they only see a shadow of a sliver. The angels are saying, look, we see it all, and so we, we are fueled by the power of what we see to do what we know, but it is amazing to us that men and women who don't get a chance to see this lay their lives down because they've tasted just a sliver of it. A sliver of it. I just want to say, and I, I know you, I say this all the time, but there's more. There's more. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's the, here's the question for us today. What am I not free from that I could be? You know, when I was in that moment, uh, and that guy was, looked at me <laughs> and exploded my, my world... You know, I still kept up the act with my friends of pretending that this McKenzie gang was something, but it was nothing. Yeah, have you ever had that happen in some way, you know, where your illusions about your world were exploded? Listen, ask God to ruin your worlds in favor of giving you His. Because the promise of the kingdom, the inaugurated, you know, kingdom, is going to be one system, one value system. It's not based around, well, 
your clothing. It's not based around how nice your hair is. It's not based around your athleticism. It's not based on anything that you use in your mind's eye to give yourself a sense of worth to compete with the world around you. Well, she might be beautiful, but I'm fast. Well, he might be tall, but I have hair. You know, whatever it is that gets you through the day, exchange it. Be willing to exchange it. And if you think, well, I don't have any of that, you do. You do. The question is, what is it? And how free can you be if that was gone? But it's it's a hard thing because we don't know what it is. And when push comes to shove, it's it's the core part of who I am. So I want to pray. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray today, Lord, that we could have enough hope that there is something beyond us, that you could give us a glimpse of the life and the freedom that you said was possible. Father, I pray for those who are already Christians here, that, Lord, we would have an insatiable, unlimited desire for more, to come in, Lord, to the orbit of your world and leave, however good, even our Christian world, our religious world, our Christian social circles, Lord, to leave that for a kingdom perspective. God, I pray pray we do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. It'll just be a few more minutes, then I'll... In verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter's talking to Jesus, and he heard Jesus say something about forgiveness. And he thought, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock him with my generosity here. So Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will I forgive my my brother's sin against me. How often shall my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him, pardon me? Up to seven times? You know, this was, this was really magnanimous of Peter to say this. Like, my brother offends me with the same thing over seven times. If he steals my chickens, you know, how, how many times does he steal my chickens before I can come down on him with, like, you know, he keeps coming and saying sorry, you know. He said sorry, but, you know, how many times, what do I have to do, put up with here? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490. 490 compared to seven. I mean, you have to realize that, that in the Jewish world, you know, of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, Jesus starts talking about forgiving and loving your neighbor and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, so man, to go from... You know, zero, <laughs> really, which to seven was like this huge leap. You know, I'm talking about jumping out of worlds, right? This is a huge leap for Peter. And then Jesus says, 70 times seven. Okay, so I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, yeah, but how many times have I told my husband that this bothers me when he does this? I think even 70 times seven is a metaphor for continuously. But... Let's read the, the rest of it, and I'll, I'll make this application really quick. Up to 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, and when he had um, settled his accounts, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, the master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and the payment be made. You know, so he's selling everything he has, putting his, uh, selling his wife and his children as slaves. And the servant was so upset about this, the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. And he went and threw him into prison till he should pay all the debt. 
But his fellow servants saw what had been done. They were very grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you also not have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, this is a really interesting verse. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. Wow. Why well, would you sing a song about how merciful God is? And he is. He's amazing loving. But there are conditions to participating in that love. And the conditions are, as you see, they're, they're, you have to extend that. Now, how do you do that? How do you, I mean, I, I just want to talk about one specific aspect of this. And this is what sort of touched my heart as I was coming into this morning. I thought, what is it that enables us to really forgive? I mean, have you ever had an, unjust, an injustice done to you? You know, has, has anything ever happened where you, you, you know, I mean, you were genuinely wronged? You know, not, you know, I think he might have been thinking, you know, this, and I thought this, and I was offended that he might have been thinking that. No, I'm actually, actual things, you know, real wrong things, where you're just convinced that, that man, no, this guy really is bad. I mean, he really is. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, Jesus is saying you need to forgive him anyway. Yeah, but he, well, he came in, he said he was sorry, but I don't think he's really sorry. What is it that enables us to forgive? What is it? Do you know what it is? The greatness of God. The greatness of God enables me to forgive. Years ago, I was at a particular place where the Lord started to bring me into a scenario where he was teaching me to forgive. And it started with very minor things, you know. It was started with, you know, somebody taking my washing machine, you know. Uh, I mean, I was going to use a washing machine, and they, they I had, anyway, I was bad. I felt offended. I felt wrong. God said, forgive. And I, I, you know, and then I thought somebody was, or somebody was actually kind of insulted me, and, and I, okay, I'll forgive. And I was got better at forgiving those minor things, and then the Lord, suddenly, he upped the ante. He said, okay, now you're actually going to have real deliberate persecution. People are really not going to like you, and they're going to start doing mean things. Now, these are not mean people. These are good people. You know, so things started happening in my life where people I liked and I knew suddenly come up and with these, you know, charges in my life, you know. I, I, uh, I remember the first one. It was, I was a leader of, uh, associate leader of a ministry, uh, evangelism ministry at Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And we had about, um, I think, 600 students or something in that group. And uh, we had gone out and done uh, an evangelism and... I came back late to meet the bus, you know, because I lost time. We got into sharing with somebody, and I, and when I got there, the next day, my leader came to me and accused me of sedition. You know, he said, you did that on purpose. You wanted to stay later, and I said no, and, and so you came late purposely. And uh, anyway, I was so, I was so hurt by that, you know, because... I mean, he was judging me of a motive that I knew was not there. I didn't do it on purpose. It was completely accidental. So that happened, and then other things happened. And, you know, people, when I first came to this church, people hated me. People, you know, called up others and said, tell him not to unpack. He's not staying. All right? You know, that's, that's pretty tough stuff, right? If you go online and you check, you know, on people like Bill Johnson or Lance Wallner, there's websites dedicated to saying how evil these people are. Okay, and you know what God is calling us to do, you know, to, is to forgive them. That, that he's saying, Mark, your freedom is if you can forgive them. And that thing, see, the, the enemy is trying to create a world and to get you to orbit around that world, around their anger, their hatred, their bitterness against you. And freedom is you forgiving. But the question is, how do I do that? How do I really get away from the fact, but this is evil. They are evil. They are wrong. How can I look upon them with empathy or compassion or any kind of graciousness? I mean, they're... Right? How do you get past that? By realizing that the margin of difference between you and them is marginal. 
Well, how do you, how do, you do that? By discovering how great God is. See, we, we tend to, you know, in, in, in our world, right, whether it's sports or, come here, come here, Ben. Ben, you know, Ben is taller than me. Okay. But how great is that difference as opposed to him and I as compared to God? You know, if Antares is that big, I mean, you know, this, this difference, which may seem important right now, in light of the greater thing, is, is not great at all. Thank you. So, have a seat. so what God is saying, listen, your freedom, if you, could, if you could find out how righteous I am, you wouldn't be holding over others the marginal righteousness you have that is, you know, it's a sliver of a difference when you're coming from that size. I mean, you know, you might have a son that's twice the size of our son, a star that's twice the size of our star, right? And that might seem significant unless you're Antares. Then that difference is like, don't even bother talking about it. See, this is the world we live in where, yeah, but he did this to me, and I would never do that, and this is so huge in my eyes. And God has said, come up to my world, and you'll see the difference is not that great. You are almost as evil as that person, as compared to me. It's relative. It's perspective. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness. If you actually, well, you know, I've been a pretty good Christian. You're, you're not a good Christian. Right? I'm not a good Christian. Well, what is your standard? God. What enables me to look at others with, with, with benevolence is that there go I. I mean, I'm really, in the larger scheme of things, I'm almost no, but not better than you at all. If I really am taking God into account. But instead, we sort of cut that off. Well, that's, you know, let's compare here. No, the Bible says, he who compares himself with another demonstrates that he is without understanding. He that compares himself with another shows he has no understanding. The grain of sand between us and others that creates friction of unforgiveness. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I, yeah, but I, no, listen. A, do you have any idea how much I've already forgiven you? And do you realize how marginally different you are from that person as compared to me? Let it go, will you? That's what God is saying. Listen, let it go. Let it go. And just find out. The, the greater thing, just find out what the difference is. You're focusing on the difference between your righteousness and their righteousness. I'm saying focus on the difference between my righteousness and your righteousness. And then this other thing is not going to matter. So what does God do? He creates scenarios in our life to illustrate how fixated we are on our own righteousness, on how good I am. And never mind that the good that we use to define ourselves is flawed. And he's saying, listen, do you have any idea what I'm inviting you into? And I'm saying, and this is the, what, the, the whole thing about the, the torturing and the penalty and say, okay, you're, shut, you're cut off from your relationship with me. He's saying, listen, I'm inviting you into a relationship where you could discover my righteousness and participate increasingly in my righteousness, but you're stuck on what's wrong with the person to your left and your right, and so you can't have what I got until you let that go. That's the, that's the system that God has created. So does it make any sense at all to hold unforgiveness? We are giving ourselves a break when we just, yeah. Lord, I want to know just how great you are. And every time I hold on to unforgiveness or rehash in my head that thing that that guy did and how wrong that was, and how, it, God is saying, listen, do you know how many times over I could give you... Uh, so many more times. But Lord, he, he made me lose $10,000 uh, or whatever it is. Do you know how small $10,000 is to me? I'm inviting you. And this is the whole scenario in the world, across the world. God is saying, I'm inviting you into a relationship with me to be part of my kingdom on every level. And you get stuck in these enmities, these tensions, these relational difficulties. And I'm saying, just come up higher. Please, just come up higher. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Let us set today, starting today, let's set our hearts. God, I want to know your righteousness. Yeah, it's going to explode my world. My, the best formed Christian righteous world that I can make, it's going to destroy that. But I want that. I, because that's, at the end of the day, that's the system that God, that's the kingdom of God. It revolves around his righteousness. So, Father, I pray today as we close, give us the grace to give it up today. Give us the grace to let it go. No matter how we might have been abused, no matter what hardships we might have walked through, no matter if people lied about us or cheated or took away uh, our, our innocence or, or uh, transgressed our, our lives, stole from whatever it is, God, it's not worth losing our place in eternity. It's not worth losing our place in the kingdom of God. I pray today, Lord, for the grace to let it go. We want to know the truth and we want to be free. Show us the truth of your righteousness. So as we close, there there might be people here today that would like to do something. Grace has come and stood here. She's presenting something before God and maybe somebody else wants to say, okay, I'm laying something down. And as a, as, as a defining moment, as a defining moment, you can come and stand or you can just say something in your heart to God right where you sit. But there are these defining moments where we leave the past and we go into our future. And if this is one of those moments for you, I just encourage you to put a stake in the ground, to do something today. And, and if you're not a Christian, you're saying, Okay, I, I want this. God, I want your righteousness. That I encourage you just, just to begin to seek God. Just begin to say, God, I want to know who you are. I want to know who your son Jesus is. I want, I want this that Mark was talking about. I want this in my life. But Father, we want to say today, especially around unforgiveness, God, let this be a day when our eyes will not be focused on somebody else where where our lives will not be tethered to somebody else's life, but we want to tether ourselves to you today. We want to tie into your righteousness. We want to tie in to who you are. We're saying, God, I just want to know who you are. I don't want to be diminished. I don't want to be locked into a lower world. Your kingdom come to my life today. God, I want your righteousness. I want your kingdom in my life. So be blessed and encouraged as you leave today. And remember that he reigns. And let's make sure we apply these two things to our lives today. There is more. That's not up for debate. There is always more if we keep seeking after him. There is more. And let's apply the principle of forgiveness because it releases us and frees us, which is so powerful. So I pray a blessing on you today as you leave this place in Jesus' name, and shake someone's hand on your way out. Greet somebody. Amen.